family of a local teenager says she never would have left home without calling. It's praying for the best. I want my daughter home, man. And if she can't come home, I just want to know where she's at. These posters around the towns of Livermore and Jay beg anyone with information to come forward. Posters that Richard puts up every spring, never losing hope. An arrest in a nearly four-decade-old cold case thanks to cutting-edge DNA technology. The arrest happening exactly 39 years to the day. When Parabon Nanolabs used that sample to create 3D models of the suspected killer's face. It's heartbreaking. We miss her, and we're going to find her. We're going to keep looking until we do. What if I told you a 24-year-old mother of two disappeared without a trace September 2nd, 1976. What if I said her husband tried to hire a hitman to kill the chief of police and other officers because they were asking too many questions? And what if I said, a few years later, a Jane Doe that matches her description is found three hours away from where she disappeared, yet police were unable to match her to the missing mother. In a case where truth is much stranger than fiction, we speak to Suzanne Timms, the daughter of Patricia Lee Otto, and Mel Jetterberg, an advocate for the Finley Creek Jane Doe. So tonight, I'm joined by Suzanne Timms, the daughter of missing person Patricia Lee Otto, missing since September 2nd, 1976, from Lowston, Idaho. And she is joined by her friend and advocate, Mel Jetterberg. So I'm going to start with you, Mel. Now, how did you get involved with this case? I actually live in Union County, Oregon, which is where this Jane Doe was found. And backing up a little bit, I have an educational background in both criminal justice and criminology. And I do have a bit of an investigative background as well. I used to be an investigator for Adult Protective Services for the state of Oregon. And I've just worked in human services for a very long time. So those kind of, those two things have just kind of melded together for me throughout my life. And of course, I consume a lot of true crime content, podcasts, books, and things like that. And I had read Michelle McNamara's book when it came out, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and was just completely blown away by the details of her story investigating who we now know is Joseph D'Angelo. And so she kept calling herself just this mousy housewife and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know why I identified with her when she was saying things like that, but I was like, well, I wonder if there's something I could do for a cold case around here. And so I had heard about the Doe Network. I'd heard about NamUs. I'd never gone and checked these things out. And so one Friday night, I'm sitting at home and I decided to log on to the Doe Network. And I looked up Union County, Oregon not expecting to find anything because I've lived here my entire life. And while there have been some murders, I was like, we've, we've never had a Jane Doe case here, but I was completely wrong. There was one. And so I started looking more into this immediately texted my family and my mom did a little bit of digging online and found some posts from crime watchers and from web sleuths. And somebody had put information out there and, but that's about it. It had been on there since I think 2018 or so. And so I just kind of looked at this information, started digging around on the internet, 
about details that were on these posts, like what she had been wearing, red pants, red Catalina pants, and a white halter top. And just kind of started digging around for just basic information like that. And over time, as I chewed on it a little bit and saw advocacy groups on Facebook and things like that, I also read another book shortly after that, which was Billy Jensen's book, Chase Darkness With Me, who tells you essentially how to run Facebook campaigns. And I was like, oh, you can do that? So I started a Facebook page in 2019 on the anniversary that this body was discovered, which was August 27th, and just kind of ran with it after that. Did you know that was the anniversary? or? Just... I did. Yeah, that was that was a little bit purposeful. Not only was I a little bit scared because I didn't want to totally jump into something and mess it up, but I was like, you know, it would be very lucky, ironic, if this were to go live on the same day, on the anniversary day that she was found. That's awesome. So, yeah. Um, so what's the name of that page? It is called Finley Creek Jane Doe, Elgin, Oregon. All right. And so... I mean, I'm not sure which way to go here. How did you connect with Suzanne? Uh, Suzanne, uh, was it just last year, Suzanne, in 21? So the Facebook page has been up for almost two years now. And one year before that, in May of 2020, on my birthday, no less, we had some forensic art that was released. So I didn't have that forensic art to start with. There was a guy by the name of Jason Futch. He, he's the one who put the Crime Watchers posts up and he connected with me almost right away as soon as I started the Facebook page. And he knew Anthony Redgrave from Redgrave Research Forensic Services. And once we were able to get our hands on the records, there were 35 millimeter photos in there. And we said, here, Anthony, can you do anything with these? And he did. And it was over a year later when Suzanne, and she can tell you this story in detail, saw the forensic art and she'll tell you her reaction. You'll get a chance to do that. And just messaged me like right away saying, um, I'm the daughter of a missing woman out of Idaho. Says my mother was ruled out as this Jane Doe. Do you know how? Was it because of the pregnancy? And I said, no, that wasn't it. But I don't know how the investigators ruled her out. And so I flipped through this teeny tiny file. It's only 50 pages that I have. And I said, they don't have a note in here as to how they ruled your mom out. So I don't know. And we have talked pretty much every day since then. Wow, that's incredible. Like, yeah. I mean, Facebook has a lot of negatives, but it is kind of neat how you can connect to different people. Like, you know, like how we've connected with this case. So, uh, so Suzanne, if you can pick the story up, I guess, how old were you when your mom went missing? And can you talk about the details of the disappearance? So I was not even quite three years old in 1976. And my sister was not quite five, um, living in Lewiston, Idaho with my mother and father, Ralph and Patty Otto. And my mother came home late from um, school one night she was doing evening classes at Valley Business College and she had us stay at our grandparents house during class and she picked us up brought us home to the house and um, tucked us in downstairs which was unusual because that's not where our bedroom was a fight ensued shortly after that and 
I became frightened and wanted to go see what was happening, so I went upstairs to go check on her. And I witnessed a physical altercation and witnessed them both hitting each other. I saw my father put his hands around her neck and then he carried her out of my sight. And I ran back to my sister and told her I was frightened and I was crying and she tried to console me. The next day my father was in a rush to get out of the house and we left not to go look for my mother but we left to go to his girlfriend's house in the morning. Later that afternoon he brought us to my aunt's house and that would be Patty's sister and we were left there for several months in her care. He just had no contact with you? He just dropped you off? and You know, I don't remember my dad coming to visit us during that time or coming around. I do know that my aunt would have been just perfectly content if he never would have came home again because we were ve being very well cared for there. And during that time, I disclosed to my uncle that my mom wasn't going to come back because... I had saw what I saw and told him what I saw. And um, shortly after that, my father showed up and removed us from their care. He then took us He then took us to his sister's home, who I didn't really know. I think I'd seen her at Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner once before, but I didn't really know her. And she pretty much took us into their home. She had five biological children of her own and ended up adopting five others. So it was a big home full of children. And then a couple months later, my father was arrested for attempting to hire a hitman to kill the captain of the police force. Apparently, I read that. Unbelievable. Yeah, apparently, they were really like, you know, wanting answers about my mom's disappearance, and he didn't want to answer those questions. So at the bar one night, he casually just says he wants to get rid of him, and the bartender is under the impression that he had killed my mother. So he called the police department to say, you know, here I have this guy who his wife is missing and we all think he did it. Now he wants to kill Captain Ayler. What should I do? And he says, tell him you know someone and we'll come and be that someone. So they set him up and awesome. he fell for it. He fell for it. He not only paid them, he was giving directions for additional hits once they got this one done. So my father went away to prison for attempted murder and my sister and I continued to stay with his sister out in cul-de-sac Idaho and we were raised understanding that my mother ran away, that she took off that night. She went off to be with some other man and she chose to leave us. And we kind of believed that lie until we got to be old enough to get the police report ourselves. Um, you know, my father died only seven years later. He didn't live that long. He was still a young man when he died. But when my sister and I were old enough, we got the police reports because we wanted to know what happened to both of our parents. So we got my dad's report and we got my mom's report. It was very clear to me that my mom did not leave us. Um, but we didn't have a body to prove what had happened that night. So until last June in 2021, when I'm scrolling through my Facebook and I see my face on an unidentified, you know, it's clearly my face in pencil. And I'm like, what is this? And when you click it and open it up, it describes my mother. It describes a five foot three Caucasian blonde female wearing red pants and a white blouse. And I'm like, how in the hell 
is this not my mother when they drew my face from autopsy photos? They don't even have a body. And that's the clothing. And that's the clothing she was last seen in, right? Yeah, red pants and a white blouse is what she's reported. And this is not because I remember the red pants and the white blouse. That's what's reported in the Lewiston Morning Tribune when they're like, here she's missing. This is what she was last seen wearing. We're trying to find a lady wearing red pants and a white blouse. Looks like you found one in 1978. Matching her exact description. So what happened? So, and and I don't, don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but to go back to your father's conviction for the um, for trying to hire a hitman, that actually got thrown out, right? He, those charges were dismissed. Yeah, he was in prison for four years, and he took the case all the way up to the Supreme Court and said, "You entrapped me," and he won, because indeed in 1978 that was considered entrapment. They knowingly went in to set him up and entrapped him for homicide, and he got it overturned. Now, thankfully, that is no longer an illegal action that, you know, police officers can actually entrap people because they're protecting the good of society. So now it is legal to do that, but cases like this have to happen in order for a change to occur. So yes, he was released and he died within um, two years of being released. He died in police custody on unrelated charges. Hmm. So. Tell me about uh, the Jane Doe. How was she found and, and who found her? So in 1978, what I discovered is hunters from Milton Freewater found this body. And what rank stuck out to me was the names of the hunters who found the body. Ron Swiger from Milton Freewater, I've never heard that name before. Lee Parr is my husband's grandfather. Mm-hmm. So I turned to my husband and asked, did your grandfather ever mention finding a body in 1978? And my husband tells me I'm crazy because he's an investigator. That stuff doesn't happen. You don't just forget that you found a body in your family and nobody talks about it, Mm -hmm. but it happened. I called his dad, who was obviously still alive, and asked him if grandpa had ever mentioned it. And his father's like, um... How do you know about that? I never told you about that. And I'm like, told me about what? How do you know about it? And he's like, it's not something you ever forget when you stumble upon human remains. And he goes on to describe it. So my father-in-law was there as a child who Mm -hmm. discovered the body. Unreal. So how old was he at the time when he found the body? He was eight years old. So your father-in-law is not much older than you. No, I married young and so did my mother-in-law. Oh, okay. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. My wife is 10 years younger than me, so. (laughs) 10. There's 10 10 years between us, yep. And when you put 10 between me and 10 between them, that puts my father-in-law and I very close to the same age. When I saw that in my head trying to figure out, how is this possible? Uh (laughs) But that's how it is. Yep. Yeah. I didn't even think about that because I was four years old. I never thought about the fact that I was four Rob was eight. I didn't do the math. Well, just now, so that's, I was that's five. Where I am. That, that's funny. <laughs> you were four. I was five, and Rob was eight when all this was occurring. So we were just children, and obviously, it had never four. come up. You were four. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You were four as well. It had never come up in a conversation, and I know this sounds crazy that it didn't. But if you understand, my relationship with my current husband occurred during a time that 
I lost my sister. So Gary and I had only been dating a short amount of time when there was this tragic accident where my sister, brother-in-law, nephew, and another child were killed in an accident. And I think there was years of healing where it's just not appropriate to be talking about finding dead bodies. And then you just barely get over that and we lost a child. So there's no time to talk about the dead bodies that you found in your life when I'm healing and then we go through another trauma. So looking back, I can see there's not an appropriate time to bring up this, hey, when I was a kid, I found this body in the woods. And, and to think that these two would be related, it would be, it sounds astronomically impossible. From where the body was located to where your mom disappeared, how far away is that? Three hours. Three hours. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's possible. Mm -hmm. Now, oh, yeah. no. is there any connection with your father in that location? We can't quite link him to Union County specifically, but my father worked for the Forest Service in Montana, Idaho, Washington. So why not the Forest Service in Oregon, which is closer than Montana? Mm -hmm. That's interesting because she was found in the middle of the woods, right? Like. Yeah, she was found on a well-maintained forest service road, though. It's not like there was any hiking that had to be done. There have been houses on that road for a long time. That road has been logged for a long time. And as Rob told us, that has been a hugely popular hunting spot for a very, very long time. So it is not out in the middle of nowhere. It's a well-traveled road. So Suzanne, what was your reaction when you find out your father-in-law found this Jane Doe that potentially could be your mother? I think both of us were like, no freaking way. This just, it just sounds crazy, right? It can't be. But when he describes what he saw, and Mel and I have the photos, he's describing the images in the photos that he's never seen. And, and his assumption was at the time there was a hippie camp that had been frequented up there. And I think that the assumption was this was some, maybe a hippie or maybe a homeless person. And I don't think the police department really took it too seriously to think this could be a married mother of two who's being looked for. Cause the homicide file is like, mm -hmm. it's a half inch thick. It's tiny. It's a tiny little like, Found a body, never knew it, got rid of it. That's mm -hmm. pretty much the whole file. Unreal. Yeah. And Mel, has the police department been uh, forthcoming with information that they do have and sharing files with you, or is that, has that been a struggle? Well, that was a bit of a struggle. It took me about eight months to get my hands on those files because the case numbers that are out there, there were two. And when you just send in a case number, they, were, they took a quick look and were like, nope, we don't have anything. We don't know what you're talking about. And so I literally took a crash course on how to do an open records request and rallied my work group together at that time, which is the Finley Creek Jane Doe Task Force, and said, we need to do a bit of a blitz here because I know there were records and we need to get our hands on them. So with a much better written open records request, a number of us on the team sent in the request and finally got them, including photogra photographs, excuse me. And we had been communicating with Dr. Nikki Vance, who is Oregon State Police's forensic anthropologist. And she was technically at the time, the custodian of the case. 
because she had at one point gone to all the counties and collected both literally, metaphorically, and physically unidentified remains from throughout the state. So she had the records and she knew of the case and had access to them, but there was no body, of course. And I had to move heaven and earth to try to find the trail behind this body. And she's she's been responsive to questions and things like that, but I just don't think she's had the time to dig into it much herself, so there's really not anything she could tell me beyond, you know, the paper trail that still exists, which is not much of one. What are the remains now, and can you do a DNA uh, search on uh, the profile? Short answer is some of them are in Ontario, Canada, and they are trying to do DNA extraction. Why I say some of them is because they didn't send the entirety of them, they sent a sample. And since the first pass didn't work, we have also now, through Anthony, gotten um, Dr. Samantha Blatt from Idaho State University involved so that she can examine them on a more microscopic and molecular level to really hone in on pieces that might be good for further attempts at extraction. The rest of them are still in Walla Walla where we found them. But to back that up, Mel, there's really no uh, paper trail that proves that the remains that we found are, according to Oregon, they sent those remains out and never received them back. So technically, the remains aren't lost. Right. Technically, so yeah. Custody, you don't know who this is at this point. Correct. We could be, we could find out some whole other person if this DNA extraction is successful. The There are just a lot of circumstances that indicate that this is... Oregon's Jane Doe that they sent over there. But yeah, Suzanne's absolutely correct. We we don't know for sure. There's a little thin string saying that they are, and we hope that they are. Um, but yeah, it's not 100%. That's nuts to me. Like, it's, it's a dead body. Why would they not keep track of the records on that? Yeah, it's a whole ass person plus one. Yeah. A pregnant woman, Travis. Yes. A pregnant Jane Doe. Yeah. Yeah. And they just let her sit. To your knowledge, was your mom pregnant or you don't know? No. Um, her family is not aware of any pregnancy and she was not visibly pregnant at the time. But like I've said many times before, um, I was nine months pregnant four times in my life. And four times I could have hid that nine month pregnancy if I wanted to. I just never got that big basketball belly. Now, my mom did not disclose it to anyone. However, through her checkbook, we discovered that days before she disappeared, she had visited her family doctor who delivered my sister and I. She went to the pharmacy and she went to the hospital. That all looks indicative of a woman who went to the doctor and discovered she was pregnant yeah. and then vanishes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I wonder, I mean, do you think that had something to do with the argument that night uh, potentially or? hundred percent. That spring, she had left and moved out and had her own apartment and had an affair with a young man. And my mom disclosed that to my father that night. We know that because there's a police record saying that my father was in the bar with a gun looking for that young man the same night. I don't believe he went from going homi or what's that? not homicidal. He has murder on his mind to coming home and having an argument and just quietly going to sleep. I just don't think you can go from those two state of minds that quickly. Mm -hmm. mm. 
What was your relationship with your dad like growing up? He was a fun person to be around. He was, you know, he was a kind, good father to us. He just was an alcoholic. He, I thought he worked himself a lot and he was tired all the time, but it wasn't until I started to realize what happens when you drink a half a gallon of vodka that he wasn't worn out from work. He was blocked out drunk. Wow. And that happened on a regular basis. Yeah. But he was a fun, he was a fun guy. He was fun to be around. He never laid a hand on me, never spanked me, never any kind of physical violence with me um, or my sister. He was, in our mind, a good father. So it it's hard to believe that he was a violent person who did those things, but I saw it myself. And then, so he passed away when you were 10 and your sister was 12, right? Right. Wow. So heartbreaking for you guys. You can imagine, like, losing both your parents by the age 10. Yeah. Deal. Yeah. It was very hard, and um, you don't want to believe it, and then you also want to believe that, okay, nothing else bad's ever going to happen, but unfortunately it did, because I lost my sister as well. Mm. And then my son. So... For some reason, tragedy just hits, and um, I don't know why, but I believe now that my sister's been helping us from the other side, and I realize how crazy I sound when I say that, but um, she I don't think me. you're crazy at all, Suzanne, and I've been sitting here thinking about it. You talked earlier about the fact that your father-in-law's hunting story never came up, right? And yet, it comes up the day after you see a picture and you get a hold of me it all just boom happens at the same time so i just can't help but think that that's the kind of timing that was needed like you said you had to get past all this this healing and the, these other things so that because all this is coming so fast and furiously that we're all of our heads are spinning it's just unbelievable so i i think yeah, there's, there's just some people outside of us who know kind of best, and they're like, time is now, let's go. <laughs> so, <laughs> I certainly don't think you're crazy. Jeff Thank and I, you. Jeff and I actually run a paranormal group where we put on paranormal events. People come and they go camping with us and ghost hunt with us. They go overnight, different locations. We put on Parafest Maine, which is a convention where we have people come in and do talks and lectures and workshops, that type of thing, with vendor tables and everything, so... That's cool. Well, set up a camera here in my office because I swear to God, she's just given us messages from the other side. And I'm like, oh. I feel, I seriously feel like I'm losing my mind, Travis. There was a morning that she wouldn't get out of my head and she kept insisting that I go to her mail file and address her E-Trade account. And I haven't gotten in my sister's mail. She's been dead since 2006. It's been a long time. I pull out her mail and sure as shit, there's this E-Trade account that I didn't know existed. While I'm on the phone to E-Trade, I find the report that we needed because Oregon's been telling us it's not our fault that Patty wasn't presented. There is nothing in our file that says that Lewiston ever presented her. And guess what my sister led me to? A police report on the 1st of September, 1978. And my sister's handwriting's on there with the phone number to Union County that she's calling to follow up on this. Whatever happened with this Jane Doe? Who is this Jane Doe? Was she ever identified? Here my sister's doing it. And she leads me to this file. 
And we should also we should also bring up about the remains that are in Walla Walla, Washington. And where do you live? In Walla Walla, Washington. So what brought you there? My sister. So strangely that my mother was leaving my father in the spring of 1976. I, in the fall of 1999, was leaving my husband and I moved with my sister to Dayton, Washington, which is about 30 miles away. When I came to Walla Walla, because that's where my job was at, I decided Walla Walla was home for me. And I said, I'm gonna stay here. And she's like, no, stay in Dayton. Walla Walla was home to me and it has been home to me since 1999. So I can't help but think I've been here. She's been here just waiting for us to put these pieces together and have the right time in my life be at the right point to be able to handle this the the whole story is just stranger than fiction like this could be a a novel or a, a movie honestly it's unreal um it is exactly how i feel i've looked around at the people in my life and i'm like is this a truman show <laughs> are you guys are you guys in on this and i'm the only one that doesn't know my lines because i'm the only one who thinks this is real it can't that's, be real. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Unreal. Um, so, at this point, oh, I should bring up um, on the Patty's Voice page. Who who runs that? Is that you, Suzanne? It's me and my cousin Jennifer. Okay. So you have the Facebook page, Patty's Voice, and on there I had seen where I assume it's the dental records of the Jane Doe matched up with your your mother's face and how the you take it frame by frame and you match up the teeth like. They're perfect, perfectly synced. Like yeah, we we put those teeth out there because we were trying to find you know forensic experts, and we have a lot of Facebook followers who are you know cr true crime fanatics, and they have these overlaying abilities. So we've had people do the the skeletal overlay and the teeth overlay, and we're like, wow, literally tooth by tooth, you can line it up. But what we need is a dental expert. You know, we're not dental experts. We're I might, just. I might know someone. So. <laughs> We actually just interviewed her a couple episodes ago. Her sister had uh, been killed here in Maine, and now she's a, I can't remember, I, I'm going to say this wrong, but like forensic odontologist. That's so it's weird that we, we, we just found her a couple weeks ago. We started talking to her, and, and we did a, her case, her sister's case, and um, she said, if you guys ever need help with anything, I'm more than willing to help. She works with the FBI. Like she's, oh, wow. she's got good connections, so I can reach out to her name is uh, Beth Goodwin Dr. Beth Goodwin um, so I can reach out to her and, and see if she can make contact with you see if there's something that she could do for you so we recently did have a dentist who was trained he was actually trained at OHSU in Portland and he helped with the identification of the St. Helens um, volcano victims so he has experience doing you know burn victims which is much harder than this is an autopsy of a body that's possibly two years old so he had the x-rays and the autopsy photos and he is willing to say this is without a doubt patricia otto we need to make sure that the courts in oregon would identify him as being a forensic expert so he's trying to get four other experts to look at them to say i'm going to get all their opinion he currently has two for two there it's my mom two for two it's my mom if oregon gets this and says we've had four forensic experts look at these teeth why can your odontologist not look at the paper that's incorrect and actually look at the teeth? Don't look at this written document that is clearly wrong. Look at the teeth. Especially since they can't keep track of the records anyway, right? 
gosh. Yeah, and according to their records, my mom was never presented. And then when we presented that document that my sister led us to, then suddenly a new document appeared. A new document mm -hmm. that hadn't existed in Finley Creek's file. And mm -hmm. it's, it said that the forensic comparison was done and that it can't be my mom because of XYZ. This body has unerupted wisdom teeth, so it can't be my mom. Because according to their records, my mom had all four wisdom teeth pulled. But they have no proof of that. And the four wisdom teeth in the autopsy are all clearly there. Mm -hmm. So what's he talking about? Yeah, who's... Whose teeth is he talking about when he says it can't be Patricia Otto because we don't know who he's talking about because it's not Finley Creek Jingo. We have a theory. Yes, we have a theory. So what's the theory? Theory is there was another Jane Doe found June 28th. So we, as little investigators, got the charts for the first body that was found on June 28th. It's the Multnomah County Jane Doe. And interestingly enough, that description matches the description written in the Family Creek case. So they matched up the wrong, the wrong body, the wrong person. Yeah, and the more we dig into this, the more we discover how much estimation was done back then. When you see doctor at the beginning of somebody's name, it's like, oh, okay, science and background experience and this and that, but the pregnancy was an estimation. It could have been barely pregnant to ready to give birth. Um, the dental records weren't records at all. It was a dental chart that was compared. You know, it's just things like that, that we come into it with this kind of sense of trust and how things are done now, but we have to transport ourselves back 45 years because it just was not done that way back then. Right. And that becomes more and more clear to us every single step we take. I'm like blown away by this whole story. Oh yeah. And it's, I mean, it's surreal to even be uh, talking to you, Suzanne, someone who had to live through this and, you know, here you are with a smile on your face and I, I admire your strength. Like you're, you're pretty amazing for that. Thank and you. then, and Mel, you know, taking time out of your own life to try to help Suzanne and figure this out. And, like, that's kind of what I do. I, it's not like I'm making money off this. We don't make money off this podcast. We're a little rinky-dink podcast, so. Um, oh, yeah. It's it's just a passion you know, that I've had for a few years now that try to help out families of, of uh, missing people and unsolved murders. If it's not for people like you who just have an interest in this, and, you know, it's not personally touching your family, but it interests you, had it not been for Mel's interest... Anthony never would have seen those autopsy photos. I would never have seen that forensic drawing. And I would not be sitting here today saying, I think I found my mother. Help me bring her home. No. No. Can we go? Who's Anthony? You've mentioned his name several times, and I don't think I caught who he is. Well, if you give Anthony Redgrave a goog, he will come right up. Um, like I said, he is one of the co-founders of Redgrave Research Forensic Services with his partner, Lee. And he is a forensic artist. They do forensic genetic gene genealogy. They put on classes, they do seminars, and they work. They have had a hand in identifying a number of does in the last several years. They do have a website out there as well. And yeah, he's the one who took these 
terrible autopsy photos, by the way. They're terrible. They're old, and they're at all these weird angles. And there's nothing straight on. There's no rulers. There's no nothing. There's just some in the ground and some on a table. And they're terrible. Did they took them... Did they say what they thought she had died from? Um, no. All they mentioned was a length of coaxial cable found in the grave that was tied in a knot and kind of made some suggestions, you know, from there. She was fully skeletonized. Unable to determine, but uh, assumed strangulation, but they couldn't Mm -hmm. determine that by the autopsy, which was interesting because strangulation was what I didn't have the word for at the age of three, but that's what I witnessed. So had this victim had a bullet hole, you know, I would be saying, I definitely didn't see that. Mm -hmm. What I saw was... If you remember, you had mentioned that he had carried her. Did he, like, scoop her up and carry her, or...? No, no, and I'm, I'm, like, on stairs looking up, and so what I remember is him pushing her against the wall like that with her neck, and then kind of just dragging her out of my sight. So whether he drug her to the bedroom or he drug her to the kitchen, it was just he drug her like that across the wall out of my sight. So he didn't physically lift her up by her... He wasn't that strong. She was a small woman though too right mm-hmm. well, but my father's an older man mm-hmm. fueled by rage fueled by rage yeah and I apologize you had actually said who Anthony was in the beginning and for some reason I didn't catch the Anthony part so I, <laughs> he's a big deal so I would like him to be mentioned yeah yes for he's sure a very big deal because of his art mm-hmm. we're here that's mm-hmm. incredible mm-hmm. takes a village right Yes. Oh, it does. It has absolutely taken a village, this whole thing. So where are you guys going to go from here? What's the next step in the case? Well, we have done a couple of dog searches out at the site. And we want to do one more here pretty soon. Because there are different weather conditions that affect scent, right? Mm-hmm. And so the handler that we're working with, shout out to Amity um wants to do she's done one in the summertime very dry she's done one in the fall where it was cooler and wetter but she also wants to do one in the spring to really hone in on an area because she's had two different dogs out there and both have caught scent out there so the next step in the next month or two is to take the dogs out there one more time get some flags out there really hone in on a place so that we can eventually go out there with law enforcement supervision and try to find some bones because according to the autopsy report they did not recover all the bones of this person so and we are really really needing some dna we need some dna pretty bad Mm. so we're gonna do that we've also had a follower of the I don't know if he follows both the pages, but he reached out to Suzanne and offered to take a metal detector out there. So we are setting up to do that as well. I mean, mind you, it's a hunting camp, so there could be a lot of metal out there, but it would still be interesting to see if there's any other zippers, rivets, you know, just anything out there in that area that could be found that could potentially have DNA on it. 
Now, I would offer to drive over and help you, but I'm like uh, three or four time zones away, so. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big drive. Don't think that's going to work out. We got lots of helpers. I do want to give a shout out to, though, that Oregon State Patrol or Oregon State Police had closed this account. But when we presented the case and the information that Mel and I have, they have agreed to reopen the homicide and provide resources. Unfortunately, Lewiston Police Department has not been responsive. And I just have to think it's because of my father's history with the Lewiston Police Department that they will not allocate time, resources, anything. They have completely refuted this story and not dedicated anything to look into this. So I just feel they're gonna look really ignorant when we, as the child of this homicide victim, solve this without the Lewiston Police Department's assistance. That's really frustrating to me. So I do wanna say thank you to Oregon State Police and Union County who are like, look, this needs to be addressed they have openly given us access to resources now and are listening. We were able to meet with um, the Department of Justice in Oregon. They've heard the case. They believe that you know legislation can be moved to prevent this from ever happening. This homicide should never have been closed. The evidence should never have been destroyed. And a child should not be having to search for cremains and doing DNA testing on an unknown box of cremains because no paperwork trail was done. So we do hope that more legislation comes and that we can make a difference for other families as well moving forward yeah with us paying for it by the way we've had to do the fundraising on our own to i mean suzanne's had to write a check for the first round of dna extraction because we are the ones having to push this so hard and we are happy to do it it's just yeah like suzanne said lewiston literally has a disappearance they have a disappearance on their hands and they're yeah they're just not working with us as much as we would like them to do so wow they don't want to eat crow right i you know what i guess I, you can't blame them he got away with it and they're like we're not helping him but they're not helping him no they're helping me yeah yes and you you deserve closure for sure like, thank you it's just to know where your mom is and to bring her home and to put her to rest and to know she didn't didn't leave me yeah Mm -hmm. well she didn't abandon us i think you know that already you know it's it's pretty obvious what took place here and it sucks that lois and pd couldn't do their job and close this case yeah yeah we'll do it without them we're like 99 percent there yeah you guys are both incredible thank you doing great and thank you and i'll probably reach out to you guys again to get some tips on how to help solve other cases because sounds like you both have a lot of experience already so we have learned a lot that yeah. is for dang sure we have learned a lot we have learned a lot and i would suggest that anybody in this situation to make a timeline and write things out because it's incredible when we start even putting these two cases together with the timeline you can see the breakdown you can see how the error happened yeah you can see the confusion the timing of the apbs for the first jane doe versus when lewiston receives it i mean it's so clear that they just got two bodies mixed up and nobody thought to look at it again yeah even teeny tiny things you can just see in these police reports in patties and in finley creeks just these weird games of telephone that happen that when you're looking at it from the outside you're like what why would they do that but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and now we have to go back up 
and straighten this whole mess out. But yeah, she's right. The timeline, all that stuff is so easy to see where things went wrong and how we can get it back together. We just need people in charge to listen and verify so that we can close both cases at the same time. If you imagine this took place today, it would be a closed case within, oh. within a week, right? Oh, Lord. Yeah, right. they, they never would have gotten rid of that body. If if there was some space issue, there would have been tissue samples taken. X-rays. The DNA, oh, the x-rays. X-rays. Lord. And just retention records. That's one of the big things that we've run into is they haven't even kept records on an unidentified body. I was told by the pathologist who took the x-rays that she took the x-rays but they don't exist anymore because they don't hold on to stuff when there's a dead mother and child involved right they would now but it's like uh, huh blows my hair back suzanne real quick how old was your mom when she disappeared she was 24 years old oh that's awful had her whole life ahead of her. Absolutely. And did you say your dad was a lot older than her? Correct. When they got married, my mother was 18 and my father was 38. A little difference there. I could be off on that. I feel like it's not quite 20. Maybe he was 37, but it's 19 years between them, I believe. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, when I sent you those photos earlier uh, that I had used that my heritage app and cleaned them up a little bit and like she was stunning, you know, 24 years old and to have her disappear without a trace. Well, I think we have a trace, but yeah. I just wish I could take back, take back, you know, 18 years of resentment towards her. You know, you, you can't take back all those years of resentment of thinking that I have the worst mother in the world. And that's, that's hard. Mm -hmm. And you can, it's one of the hardest things. Mm -hmm. You can blame him for that. Like Hi. To, mm -hmm. Not only to, to obviously have murdered your mother, but then to let you girls grow up that way, thinking that she had taken off and and that she's gonna come back. You know, to try to give me the hope that she's gonna come back, but know that that's never gonna happen. It's just it's unfortunate, but if I could undo anything, I would like to just have stuck with what I saw originally and. You know, it wasn't just my father, it's trusted adults around me who assured me that my mother left. And yeah. as, as an adult, I would never do that. My, my children, I have three children who their father abandoned them as well, and I'm 100% honest. He chooses to live that life and he chooses to come in and out, but I'm not gonna lie for him and I'm not gonna make up some story. I'm gonna be honest because it doesn't matter how old the child is, they deserve the honest, honest truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Was it her family that raised you guys? Or was his. His, his family. His so they, family. They said the same story then, because that's what he told them. and They still believe that same story. Even with this case, they still believe it's not her. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely caused division, and it will continue to cause division if and when we close the case it's going to cause division. Yep. What we're hoping before that, though, is that somebody will open their mouth and talk. So, 
that's why we really like working with people like you. Yes. Get the word out there and really put the pressure on before we lose more people because quite frankly, there've been a lot of people involved in both these cases who are no longer with us. We can't ask them questions. They can't tell us what they know or what they remember. And that's... Do you think someone helped him? Yeah, I, I do believe that someone helped him. I believe that my father was too intoxicated and not well enough to be able to do it himself. And we discovered through police records that he had called for help that night to not just one friend, but to two friends. And I believe there was a third friend who was called and that's how he was able to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do believe there's somebody out there that knows very well what happened and could really help give me closure. And we are not wanting to prosecute anyone at this point. Prosecution is not what we're after. Closure is what we're after. Yeah. So we encourage anyone to please come forward. And if, if they weren't part of the actual murder, you know, statute of limitations has gone by for anything else. So if you were there and you helped hide her body or whatever, then they can't charge you. Just, just give us closure. Yeah. What would a closure be for you, Suzanne? Closure would be being able to wrap this up, knowing for sure it's 100% her being able to bring those cremains, um, to somewhere appropriate which I now don't think is going to necessarily be at a cemetery if she's been sitting on a shelf for all these years. Um, And then having to forgive myself for holding that hatred against my mother. So that's important to me. Now, if somebody has a tip they want to communicate to law enforcement or officials, is there a number they can call or who do they reach out to? For... Patty's case, it would be the Lewiston Police Department, and that number is 208-746-0171. And for any tips regarding Finley Creek Jane Doe, we do actually have a Crime Stoppers of Oregon tip line now, which is amazing. So you can go to Crime Stoppers of Oregon website or download their app at p3tips.com. That would be completely anonymous. Or you can call the Legrand branch of the Oregon State Police at 541-963-7175. Also, feel free to reach out to Suzanne or myself on our Facebook pages. We're happy to take those tips. Awesome. Thank you both for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Travis. Travis, of course. You guys have a good night. Thank you. Trisha Lee Otto disappeared September 2nd, 1976 from Lewiston, Idaho. She was 24 years old and described as 5 foot 3, 140 pounds. She has blonde hair and hazel eyes. The day she went missing, she was last seen with a white top and red pants. If you have any further information about this case, please contact the Lewiston Police Department at 208-746-0171. And as always, thank you for watching. Taylor, Taylor Williams led investigators to Alabama this week. So we have some breaking news from Florida. An arrest has been made. Teenage, in after years of agony, a glimmer of hope for the family. Investigators spent hours searching through this house off Pennsylvania Avenue. What could be a major development in the search for missing Alabama teenager. Tonight, a stunning twist in the search for Taylor. Somebody out there knows something. They want to lay him to rest their way, not by somebody else's way.